We all have this natural, instinctive need to be connected to others. We feel its presence (laughs) or its absence when we're with our family. I'll let you choose which one you feel. Uh, It drives us to join teams. It makes us want to be with people and share when we get good news or be consoled and be with people when we get bad news. And when we're isolated and we're not connected, we feel like something is profoundly wrong. Our need to connect traces its roots all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And when God looked at Adam, in the midst of all of this beautiful new creation, When God had looked at everything that he had created and continually said, it's good, it's good, it's very good. For the very first time, he looked at Adam and said something was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. Brilliant philosophers throughout the centuries have confirmed and affirmed God's truth. Aristotle said, without friendships, no one would choose to live, even if they had all the other good things in life. Modern-day sociologists and demographers add the weight of their research to the truth of God. Robert Putnam said, the single most common finding from a half a century of research, not only from the U.S., but from around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and the depth of one's social connections. So even though relationships delight and disappoint us, even though relationships bring joy and sadness to our lives, even though relationships can set our hearts on fire and break our hearts to pieces, this truth still remains. We need each other. It's not good for us to be alone. We're in this four-week series on simplifying our lives in several key areas. And the research we talked about last week shows that most people in North America have this strong desire to simplify their lives in order to have stronger, healthier relationships. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That need was expressed by people in their 20s and in their 70s. It wasn't age-specific. Parents wanted to have better relationships with their kids. People wanted to be better neighbors and better friends. And it came out in statements like these. I have lots of people and family around me, but I'm still lonely. I wish I could have just one friend that I could talk to at any time. And if you read the studies that are all over the place, you would find that the majority of those writers and experts point to three primary reasons that our relationships have faltered over the past few decades. The first thing they talk about is the increased mobility in our society. And it's not just the fact that 20% of our population moves every year. Now, it's not the same 20%. It's a different 20%. I mean, that's a huge factor. But beyond that, it's the idea that every single one of us drives further than we used to to get the things that we need. 
We drive further to get our groceries. Our kids travel further to go to school. We drive further to go to church on Sunday morning when we used to walk to go to church. And we go further to get to our work. All of those little decisions, this increased mobility, means that we're less likely to dig our roots deep into a town, on our street, and into the lives of the people who are right around us. There's also this emphasis on rugged individualism versus interdependence in our society. We simply don't need each other or depend on each other as much as we used to. And then the third factor is this increasing number of emotionally numbing distractions in our society and in our lives. Primarily, they point to our penchant to fill our lives with media in its varying forms. It can be everything from your smartphone to your computer to your television. And when I read that, I bristled. I thought, great, here we go again, down the same path. Everybody's going to point to television as the thing that ruined our lives. And so I bristled. I protested until I read the author's next statement, (laughs) and I kind of chuckled. He said, it's no small irony that many of us could more accurately describe the kitchens of sitcom characters than the kitchens of our neighbors. Busted. How about you? Feel the same pain? Now, I'm not one of those extreme conservative people who see cars and iPads and the internet and computers as inherently evil. I don't want to go back to the 1940s and 50s, but neither am I one of those people who is willing to simply ignore the combined impact that they've had on our relationships. It simply draws us back to God's caution in Genesis 2.18 where he said, it's not good for us to be alone. So I want us to focus this morning on this idea of simply simplifying our lives. I ran the risk of creating a George Bush word. Simplifying our lives so we can build healthier relationships, healthier friendships is what I want to talk about. Because I believe that friendships are the springboard for every single relationship in our lives. If you can be a good friend, a healthy friend, then that will take you a long ways towards being a good spouse, a good brother, a good sister, a good employee, and a good boss. And the scripture is filled with rich, helpful wisdom on how to have a healthy relationship in your life. I think one of the things we need to look at honestly in our lives is how do we eliminate the congestion that's blocking our relationships? Let me explain what I mean. Now, personally, I enjoy visiting but could never live in downtown Chicago. I give Gordon all kinds of props for being able to do that. I, uh, I honestly, this week on Wednesday, Connie and I are going to downtown Chicago We're going to see uh, a play. I'm looking forward to being there. I'm looking even more forward to leaving there. Uh, And here's what most of it comes down to for me. I hate the trip to downtown Chicago. There is no good way to get there and get home. And I know some of you are already trying to fix me on that in your mind. You're going to catch me after church. Give me your suggestion. Been there, done that. There is no good way to get to Chicago. 
Uh, the trip to downtown Chicago most of the time involves somehow getting on 90. And I'll just tell you up front, I hate <laughs> traffic. You can't get to Chicago without traffic. I hate the traffic between here and the train station in Elgin, okay? I hate traffic. I grew up in the country where I could drive 100 miles an hour if I wanted to, and there were no other cars and no other police, and there were cows, and if I hit one, I knew what I was having for dinner, okay? God bless the country. Can I get an amen, Frank? Amen. Thank you. So what I hate most about the traffic is when it grinds to a halt for no apparent reason. None. There's no accident. There's nobody pulled over on the side of the road. There's nothing to gawk at on the other side of the interstate. And you know that because all of a sudden it opens up and it starts moving again. It's like the traffic guides look down and go, <laughs> just kidding. It's ridiculous. This congestion in my life, whether it's traffic or uh, people or email or whatever the congestion is in my life, it slows me down, impedes my progress, it frustrates me, it serves no useful purpose, and I deal with it really well. Can you tell? And no, I'm not going to therapy. Uh, but to people who drive in that congestion every day, they're used to it. I think they just ignore it. You can see them. They do their makeup. They read the paper. It's just scary. You and I have congestion in our lives. And it blocks the growth of healthy relationships. And I'm afraid that we've lived with it so long, we don't see it. We think it's normal. It's things like working too many hours. Things like selfish tendencies. Reclusive behavior patterns. And those things can impact our friendships and relationships across the board, even with the people who live in the same house with us. So how do we find it if we've grown accustomed to it? One of the things that can be helpful is just to sit down with someone who loves us and talk about it. I just scared every guy in the room. It can be helpful to ask some questions, have a conversation about your life and what you hear can be painful. I'll just warn you. But Proverbs 27 says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. A friendship can be the place that lets you have the difficult conversations that can help you grow. So here are some great questions you can ask a friend if you have a little bit of courage. Sit down with a friend and ask him things like this. What would you change about my life if you could? That's a courageous question. Ask them to be specific about what's getting in the way of your friendship and helping you grow closer. You might be surprised at the suggestions you get. Another question you could ask is, what possessions would you suggest I eliminate from my life that are getting in the way of my relationships? What job could I eliminate? Now, that's a risky question in this economy. But for some of us, our jobs take up too much time. Our jobs leave us stressed. Or, on the flip side, your job may be so boring and unfulfilling that it just leaves you on edge. 
And you may need to re-examine where you work and why you work at what you do to simplify your life. Some of you have heard me talk about this, that for this year and for the future, I cut back on my part-time job of consulting with churches because of a conversation I had with my wife, Connie. And it's made all the difference. We had to adjust our expectations in life. We had to adjust our, spe- our uh, budget because it was a secondary source of income for us. But it's made all the difference in simplifying our lives. Another question you could ask is, are there any activities, casual activities in my life that are interfering with my relationships? Are you consumed by the internet or your smartphone, constantly checking email and voicemail? Is it television or sports, or are you a reader who can't get your nose out of a book to have a relationship? What do you need to eliminate or reduce? And then what about your kids? Are there things that they would like to eliminate to simplify their life, and school is not an option? Because that'll be their first suggestion. I remember my son in his senior year of high school. He had played baseball since he was four years old, and he came to us and said, I think I want to quit the baseball team. My senior year, I just want to focus on my friendships and my relationships before we all scatter. You would not believe the flack that we caught from other parents who said, it's his obligation to play as a senior and build into those freshmen. No. What world are you living in? Your kids may be involved in some things that they've been involved in for a long time that they're not enjoying, they're not benefiting from, And their obligations are spilling into your life, and it would simplify everybody's life if you just let them step out of it for the right reasons. Healthy relationships depend on less congestion that allows you to make movement towards health. And secondly, it allows you to focus on the simple things. My all-time favorite passage when it comes to the simple things in relationships is Colossians chapter 3 starting with verse 12. I love what Paul says there to all of us when he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, then clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord also forgave you. So you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Paul just gives seven very quick, very doable attributes of a healthy relationship. He says, work on these things. First, he says, mercy. I once heard a Christian comedian address a room full of guys, and he said, in that relationship, guys, you have two choices. You can be right, or you can be happy. Some of you will get that later. Um, I don't necessarily espouse his theology towards marriage, but I think when it comes to mercy, he's spot on. In your relationships, you may have situations where you are absolutely right in a conflict or in a decision. You may be able to look at that person and exact a pound of flesh, take revenge, exact justice. They've wronged you. Something's happened. You can go for justice. But in a healthy relationship, we don't move towards justice. We move towards mercy. 30 years ago, I heard Stuart Briscoe talk about 
justice, mercy, and grace, and it stuck with me. There aren't many things that have stuck with me for 30 years. But he defined it this way. He said, justice is giving someone exactly what they deserve. Mercy is not giving them all they deserve. And grace is giving them what they don't deserve. In a healthy relationship, we move towards mercy and grace. Paul says, move towards kindness as well. Kindness implies intentionality. We make an overt effort to do or say positive things towards people in our lives. In the early stages of a friendship, that's easy. We're kind, we're generous, and it just seems to flow naturally. But the truth is, through all stages of a relationship, people are hungry for encouragement, for words of affirmation, for simple acts of kindness. Build those into your relationships and you'll see the health of them grow. Humility. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I may have mentioned it before, it comes from Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. And it says, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You know why I like that verse? Who wrote Numbers 12, verse 3? Moses. Moses wrote that. Hear it again. Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth, more humble than anyone else. (laughs) Now, it's not contradictory. Can you imagine the argument between Moses and God? Moses is going, I I, I can't write that, God. (laughs) God says, no, write it down. I want it in there. Seriously, God, really? Do you know how my family's going to hear that? We have a false picture of humility. Humility is really having an accurate picture of your gifts, your abilities, and who you are. It's not thinking less of yourself or not thinking of yourself at all. Humility is having an accurate picture of yourself. And in friendship, humility is valuing the other person as much as you value yourself. It's not not thinking of yourself at all. So it's bringing that person to the same level as you value yourself. Bring humility into your friendship. Gentleness. Think of it as strength under control. Tenderness. It's not the idea that you have to give up all power, give up all strength, or that you lack it. It's restraining your power in order to not hurt the other person. It's not saying those harsh words that are in your head. It's not doing those harsh actions that you think about when you're wrong. Jesus had this characteristic. Isaiah, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, talked about Jesus and said this gentleness in him, he described it this way. He said, a bruised reed he wouldn't break, a smoldering wick he wouldn't put out. Gentleness. Patience. You ever lose your patience with people? A co-worker, a friend, a family member? When we lose our patience, most often, it's because we're putting our needs above the other person. I wrote that on Thursday and then lost my patience with my wife. Instant application. I told her how selfish she was being. No, no, I didn't. Um, I get the opportunity to practice what I teach up here on a daily basis. Patience in relationships to bring health, it's the opposite. It's putting the other person's needs above your own. That's what patience boils down to. And then I love the way that Paul describes forgiveness. He starts by saying we need to anticipate that other people are going to hurt us. 
that they're going to offend us. And we need to make allowance for that. We need to be prepared for in advance to forgive them because it's just going to happen. And let's be honest, hasn't that been your experience in every relationship that you've had? So why are we surprised when it happens? People are going to hurt us, and we're going to hurt others. So we enter a relationship knowing we're going to be hurt, prepared to forgive. That's healthy. Paul says just eliminate the surprise factor, be prepared to forgive, and forgive them in the same way that Jesus forgives you. Proverbs 17 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it, that's what separates close friends. Forgive and move on. And then Paul says, over everything else, put on love. If I haven't covered it in the first six, Paul says, basically, then let love be your guide. Love them. Healthy relationships are often about those simple things. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Because it's often the simple things that we overlook. Now that all sounds great. And to say they're simple doesn't mean that they're simple to do. So where do we begin if we are to have any hope of building healthy relationships in our lives? Because even Paul admitted the reality of the human condition when he said, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. It's where we live. So here's some steps that you can try. And I would suggest to all of us that we do this starting this week. Pick one relationship in your life that you'd like to improve. Pick a friendship. Pick a family member that you'd like to improve that relationship. Work on one relationship at a time. See, our overachieving tendencies would say, I'm going to pick one characteristic and I'm going to work all my relationships. Um, That's contradictory to living the simple life. Pick one relationship. And the good news is, if you're working on it in one relationship, it'll spill over into the others. But focus on one relationship. Second, define your action plan. If you're going to fix that one relationship, work on that one relationship, what is it you're going to do? Just pick one thing. It can be very simple. Like, I'm going to turn the television off for 30 minutes each night and talk. I'll talk to my friend for 30 minutes, Monday through Friday this week. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's I'm going to make space for relationships in my life by being home at 6.30 every night this week. And I won't bring work with me. Or I'll turn off and ignore my cell phone and email when I'm with my friend so that I'm really with them. You know what I mean? Been with any friends lately and you're trying to have a conversation and they're constantly picking up their phone? You know what that says? Whoever's on this call and I don't know who it is is obviously more important than you. So I'll turn it off. I'll ignore it and be with you 100%. So whatever your action plan is, make a commitment to do that for a brief time. Seven days. 
would be a good start. Don't get too ambitious. Don't start a goal like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Okay? Or, I'm going to do this until the Cubs win four games in a row. Okay? Don't get too ambitious. Don't underachieve either. Like, I'm going to do this until the end of lunch today. All right? So somewhere in the middle is a good ground. Third, stay true to your commitment. Even if the other person isn't responsive. You're not doing this to change or fix somebody else. You're doing this for you to move to healthier relationships in all areas of your life. Another thing you could do that would help would be to add someone as an accountability partner, someone who knows what you're trying to do, and check in with them a couple of times through the week, by phone, by email. The reason that matters is when you tell someone what you're trying to do, not the friend you're doing it with, someone else, that level of knowledge to another person increases the odds that you're going to follow through and you'll be successful. And then lastly, give yourself grace. You won't be perfect at it, but you'll make progress. And that's what it's about, making progress, making movement towards healthier relationships. So what about it? Any friendships in your life that you'd like to improve? Would you like to strengthen? Would you like to make healthier? One choice to make those relationships healthier would be to focus on them. What they have not done. How they've not been a friend to you. What you wish they would do. That's a choice you can make. That choice to try to fix them or wish they would do something different will always lead you to disappointment. But there's another choice you can make. You can choose a friendship that's worth investing in. And you can abandon the desire to fix them because they've got junk in their lives just like we do, just like you and I do. And you can start the journey to commit to a better, healthier friendship with a commitment in your own life. And you can make that commitment today. It could be a start with a conversation with someone who loves you and knows you well to identify some of that congestion in your life, some things that are getting in the way. It could be a commitment to just work on some change in one area in your life. Making a commitment that's reasonable, doable, incremental. Just one action, one thing that you'll do for one week and just see what it does. And we're not going to transform all of our relationships in a week. You're not going to change even one relationship completely in a week. But we can make progress. We can take steps towards healthier relationships. We can move towards the simple life.